thanks for being here tonight, and thanks for being a part of Friends. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can take them and turn to Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, as we are in this series uh, called Transform. And if you came last week, we started this new series, and uh, we believe that God is calling all of us to be transformed. And we looked at really uh, what that means for all of us. But I asked this question last week, and so if you weren't here, I'm going to review as it leads into where we're going. But I asked this question, what does Jesus mean to you? What does Jesus mean to you? And Paul comes in verses 1 and 2, and he says, hey, in view of God's mercies, if you're here, remember, we talked about looking back on God's mercies and his grace, and because of his son, Jesus Christ, in view of those mercies, he says, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to the Lord, for this is your spiritual act of worship. And out of offering everything that we have to him, he then comes and he says, hey, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And why is that? So that you can prove the Lord's good and perfect will for your life. Don't get conformed, because something's going to conform us. We're either going to be conformed in the image of God, or we're going to be conformed by this world. And he comes and he says, listen up, church, don't be conformed by the world. It's run by the enemy. It's run by Satan. You don't want to be a part of that. You need to be conformed. Your mind needs to be conformed by Jesus Christ and his word. And so in view of God's mercies, he says, really, what does Jesus mean to you? And from those verses, we just concluded that Jesus should mean everything. He should mean everything. And we come as followers of Jesus, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, we are so glad you are here tonight, but we believe that as followers of Jesus, that God wants to transform us into his image. That word transform means this. It means to change completely the appearance or character of something or someone, especially so that this thing or person is improved. That's what it means to transform. Transformed is this, having been changed in an important way. So, we believe that God wants to transform us into his image and to represent his son Jesus Christ in this world. So tonight, if you don't remember anything else, uh, I want you to remember this, all right? You with me Saturday night? You're awake and alive? Remember, you're my favorite service. I tell them all the time, favorite service. So we're going to have a little interaction tonight, all right? I really tell every service to your favorite service. You need to know that. So I don't want to lie. I just tell them all. But you are. I love you guys. Okay, here we go. Here's what I want you to know tonight. That the love of God transforms the hearts of believers who then share his love so others can be transformed. And say that again. The love of God transforms the hearts of believers who then share his love so others can be transformed. Biblical love, as we were reminded, it, it's not an emotion. It's an attitude. It's a mindset. We are commanded to love. Therefore, it is a choice that we make in a matter of our will. And the mindset of love will always result in actions that are in full accord with God's perfect will for our lives. And that, the love of God, will always be defined on God's terms. I don't know if you've ever thought about it much, but we just came through Valentine's Day and we celebrated this day of love. And I don't know if you've thought about how Valentine's came into existence or how it was here, but I'm going to tell you how it came into existence. I don't think about it much. But there was this man entitled St. Valentine. Did you know that? 
See, some of you are smarter than I am. And this man was celebrated because he was in prison, beheaded, and buried on February 14th, 269 AD. Do you know why? I'm going to tell you why. He was helping persecuted Christians and marrying Christian couples. He was helping persecuted Christians and marrying Christian couples. While in prison, this dude right here, he met a jailer. And not that dude, but the dude that was just up there. <laughs> They're quick up there. I mean, they are fast. It just moves like that. That dude up there, St. Valentine, began to pray for his jailer's daughter, who was blind. And he began to pray with this jailer, and the daughter was healed of her blindness. And because he, was, he, pers he helped persecuted Christians and he married Christians, he was sentenced to be executed. And on the day of execution, he left the daughter of the jailer a note. And he wrote her a long note of encouragement. And at the end of the letter, he signed it, Your Valentine. Think about that. We come and we celebrate this day of love. And it was a man who was showing love of Jesus to the persecuted Christian and marrying those who wanted to be married. And then because of God's grace that had transformed him, his love was helping transform someone else. This girl was healed. And then he sent this little note and said, you're Valentine. After Paul talks what it looks like to, to be a follower of Jesus, to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, the next section he comes and he, he tells us that we should use the gifts that God has given us within the church. And because we went through that in the month of January, we move right along to Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9. And I'm going to read the first section, verses 9 through 13. If you have your Bibles, you can look at them or it's going to be on the screens. But here's what he starts with about this love. He says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. I'm going to stop right there. We're going to go on through verse 21 in a moment. But as I uh, was preparing for this Friday, I, I posted a little something that was speaking on this section of Scripture. And, and my youngest daughter, Ella, she sent me a little note. And, and she goes to Baylor. And she's the recruitment director for her sorority. She says that's a big deal. I don't know if it is, but she is that. She's a recruitment director. And she said, Dad, I picked out this section of Scripture for our sorority for this year. This was the section of Scripture that I picked out. And I wrote her back and I just said, what a great scripture to choose over all your girls that you live together 24-7 and that you're together all the time, that this love must be sincere. And you're going to see as it plays out what else is asked of us as followers of Jesus. But it says love must be sincere. It says hate what is evil, verse 9, cling to what is good and be devoted to one another in love. The Greek that is behind that phrase, love must be sincere, uh, it, there's no verb in it. And that Greek word for sincere was often applied to the actor who played a part on stage, who was playing out or acting out this life. And, and Paul comes in, he says, hey, Christians, stop playing, stop acting. You got to do 
some of the things I'm asking out of the love that you have for the Heavenly Father, that there must be a sincere love. Last month I talked about sincere. It doesn't have to be perfect because we are human beings. We don't have perfect love. It says, but that there's a sincerity behind your love. And I'm loving you out of, uh, out of the love the Lord gave me. And, and, and there is something that I want to impart to you. And it is just sincere. I just love you because you're a brother in Christ. You're a sister in Christ. And he says it's got to be sincere. And that sincere love hates what's evil. That there is a violent hatred of evil and a tenacious connection to what is good. That word cling says cling to what is good. It's the same word that's used in sexual relations. That there is this longing, a desire, a passion that pursues what is good. And a sincere love pursues the things of God. And he says, I want this love to be seen in and throughout our community. I love the way John in 2 John verse 6 gave us a definition of love. He says this, and this is love. That we walk in obedience to his commands as you have heard from the beginning. His commands, he just says this, is that you walk in love. That as you live, as you walk, as you breathe, that this love is to permeate everything that you say and do. So what does a sincere love look like? Well, he comes out and he says, verse 10, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never, big word, say that word with me, never, never, never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Remember last week we talked about there's an urgency to this relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. There's an urgency that God has given us as, as his followers to, to be his ambassadors to go out. There, there's a zeal that we're supposed to have because Christ has changed us and we're supposed to get after it in this world. That God's given us an urgency to make this world a better place because of his great love. Devoted. This is the only time it's used in the New Testament in this way. When we are devoted to one another, what we are doing is we are proving the existence of God into this world. Because we're devoted to one another, not because of who you are or what you can do for me, but we're devoted to one another because we're brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And he said that's part of sincere love. Speaking of devotion and honor, man, uh, you have an amazing staff at this church. You have an amazing staff that serves your people each and every day. And we have an amazing staff. And there's a few people here that honor and speak good and are devoted to this place. And I'm so grateful for them. But a lot of them come and, and, and they ask me this phrase. One in particular. Every time I walk into this weekend, because she's in charge of all the things that go on out there. Jen Griffin just asked me, is there anything I can do for you? First thing she asked me right when she sees me, is there anything I can do for you? And most of the time my answer is no. But I say thank you. Another guy that says, anything I can take out of your mind, anything that's going on in your mind that you want to get rid of, you can give it to me. Bart asks me that almost every week. And he's our executive pastor. He says, anything that's circling around your mind that I can just take for you. Kyle Zimmerman, my friend at Orange, this week, it was a busy week. We had some denominational meetings, and I've been there for the last two days and hanging out with the denomination. I'll talk about that in a minute. But he just asked, he wrote me a letter. He said, you want me to preach tonight? And in my heart, I said, oh, yes, I do. <laughs> but I said, no. But he said, anything I can take off your plate. You know what happens to me when, when that comes? 
Even if, if, if I don't even need it. There's just an honor, and I want to give that honor back to you. It's like, well, what can I do for you? How can I serve you? It says that we would honor one another, and this love would just be sincere. Honor means to outdo one another. Never lack zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Now, I want you to think about somebody that just has a zeal for the Lord. I want you to think of a picture in your mind of somebody that you know just has a zeal. I'm going to give you one that, that I know and some of you have met her, but uh, she's the wife of Kyle Zimmerman. Her name's Holiday Zimmerman, and her picture's going to be on the screen. I want you to keep that up there. See that smile? I, I used to think Holiday, I've known her because I was in their wedding um, 26 years ago. I used to think there was nobody that, that, was, that was this happy all the time. And then I met Holiday. And when Holiday comes in a room... Her countenance changes the room. The reason that the city of Orange has come to our campus in Orange to say, help us solve homelessness in Orange, it's her. The reason we have a, a secondhand store in the city of Orange, it's her. There is a zeal and there is a passion. And when she enters a room, that smile is contagious. I have city officials in the city of Orange that tell me how much Holiday Zimmerman has changed Orange, the city of Orange. I've had them say to my, my face, you, you don't know what's going on there, but there were some things that were happening, and she's walked in. And, and she's like a bull in a china shop. She can create things, so that sometimes gets a little messy. But let me tell you what she's doing. She is full of zeal, and she is full of love and honoring God. And she's changing the world. And if you've never been around somebody like that, you are missing out. But he says, that's what we're supposed to have. That's who we're supposed to be. Okay, you can take it down. Now. <laughs> Verse 12, be joyful in hope. Don't like this next one. Don't know about you. Patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. I, I want to call them the three Ps. Praise. Patience and prayer. Praise. Be joyful in hope. See, remember that, that the actions that we live out each and every day are in view of God's mercies. Remember we talked about that last week. In view of what God's done for us and his sacrifice and his grace and his goodness, we live this out. And it says, be joyful in hope. I went and saw a movie uh, Monday with my wife, Marty, and we went and saw, they call me Otto. Um, you seen it with Tom Hanks? Wow, that was sad. And he was just grumpy. I mean, if you haven't seen it, he's just grumpy. He's a grumpy old man. And he's just grumpy about everything. And, and he's, he's the guy, he should lead the homeowners association because he's just grumpy. <laughs> And he's got his thing where he's giving out tickets for people who aren't parked there and he's closing gates and he's a homeowner association person if I've ever seen one. And if you're that, I'm sorry, but he's just grumpy. <laughs> and then this really happy neighbor moves in next to him and she's just happy and he's just continually grumpy and mean to her over and over again and he's just kind. She's just kind. She just keeps being kind and pouring kindness all over him over and over and over again. There's a reason he's grumpy <laughs> and the movie plays it out and there's some reasons, but by the end, there's a softness that came to him because of this lady, and so soft that he just left everything to her. I'm sorry, I gave away the movie. You don't even have to go now. <laughs> that's it. That's basically the movie. 
I just saved you money on all of that. So there it was, okay? Don't tell me you were going to go see that. Oh, I was going to go see that. No, you weren't. Um, so that was it, but he was just grumpy. And some of you Christians that are getting older, you're becoming the homeowner association guy. And you're a little grumpy. And there's something coming over you. And Jesus says, hey, here's what I want you to understand. The more you fall in love with Jesus and the older we get, the older we get, we should be more excited and more passionate and more filled with joy because we're actually growing in our faith and we're beginning to reflect Jesus into this world. I think that's what it means. I think you should be more mature than you're supposed to be responding to God's great love. And the more you fall in love with Jesus, the more joyful you should be, right? Yes, I like the clap. Thank you. Don't be lacking in zeal. The world needs to see us. We actually love the Lord and we kind of love each other. <laughs> We're still figuring that out, but we kind of do. Patience. <laughs> Patience and affliction. Man, have you ever thought that your affliction is not about you? But for you to show someone that the God you serve? Have you ever thought about that? And I don't want to minimize anything. I, I don't know the size of your wounds tonight, and I know some come in here and are overwhelmed. And some of you today are ready to give up on God, maybe, and, and I get that. But Scripture says that patience builds perseverance, and perseverance in the midst of perseverance brings hope. And many times that perseverance brings hope to somebody else that's watching you walk through your storm. There was a lady that, that she was just walking through a, really just a, a hellish season. And I went to see her and talk to her. And when I came out, I was more encouraged than she was. She encouraged me by her faith. I looked at her and I said, I, I was coming to encourage you and you've encouraged me. And it says there's something that happens when we are patient in affliction, that God is working out something in us so he can do something through us. And then it says prayer, be faithful in prayer. H have you given up on God answering your prayers because he didn't answer you like someone answers your texts? If you stop praying because it, it, for someone or something because it just wasn't happening quick enough, he says, hey, don't give up. God's still listening. He's still acting. He is still answering. And we believe that, that God's calling us into a season to prepare our hearts for Easter. And as Blake already mentioned, uh, this Wednesday... February 22nd, we're going to be having our, our own version of Ash Wednesday, and we just invite you two different times. You can come at 7 a.m. or you can come at 12 p.m., but it's really a time of, of prayer and reflection and preparing our hearts and our minds for what Easter means, but also praying for those that are in need and need to know this one we call Jesus. And so we're going to start this week, and we would love for you to join us. So he says the, the three Ps. That you would be people who would praise. <laughs> that you would be people who would be patient in affliction. And you would be people that would not give up on prayer. And then he goes and says, verse 13, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. So what does it mean to practice hospitality? Well, it means to be uh, really a hospital for the hurting. 
And many times in a large church, you don't get to know all the great things that people do around here. But we have multiple care teams. There are hundreds of people caring for people in this church that are in great need. And these care teams are then deployed by our uh, missions department that goes around the corner and around the world. And they go and they just share the love of Jesus with people inside the church and outside the church. But there was a new uh, foster mom who got twin one-year-old boys. And uh, the story came back to me that she was just feeling overwhelmed. And so uh, this coach that was over her reached out to our care team. And there were two ladies from our church, Amy and Jessica. They came over the next day, and here's what she said. They helped me feed the boys. They played with them. They brought over books. They asked thoughtful questions of me. They showed care in so many ways. Perhaps the most outstanding way was that Amy washed all of our dishes. And I didn't even feel comfortable letting her do that, especially because it was her first time in our home. But then this lady said, I'm so glad that I actually humbled myself and accepted her help. She was gracious. It felt like Jesus was washing my feet, is what she said. The act of kindness carried me through the next week, and I still think about that picture of her joyful service, my growing in humility, and God's loving care. You, you don't think just going into a home and washing dishes is that big a deal. It must have been a really big deal for her to write that. And it goes on and on. We had a, a single mom with an autistic daughter, and, and we helped uh, this child and mom move out of some, some hard situations into a good situations. We provided funds and necessities for living situations in a new apartment that, they were, that we founded for them. We moved them into the new apartment. We uh, helped and assembled new furniture for them. We got all of that. We sent the family to Disneyland. I was out here um, the week they were taking pictures of they had given them their small group, I think, had come around in this care group and had given them passes to go to Disneyland. And we continue to support them. And it says, show hospitality to the Lord's people because we need it. And I'm so grateful for Friends Church. We actually match our name in so many ways. And this place has given hospitality all over the place. So thank you for who you are. Hospitality is different from entertaining. Entertaining says, I want to impress you with my home, my decorating, and my cooking. And hospitality says, this house is simply a gift that God has given us to be used for his glory. I use it however and whenever he wants me. Entertainment needs to impress. Hospitality aims to serve. And Paul just comes and he says, hey, church, big church, small church, practice. Practice it. Why do you think on Super Bowl Sunday we had many corn dogs? We were just practicing hospitality. I can tell you what, at the 9 o'clock service, those corn dogs were a huge hit. Man, let me tell you. Don't you just love a good corn dog at about 9.30 or 10 o'clock in the morning? It's nothing like it. But we were just practicing hospitality. And we party and we have food and you guys love food. That's why we do it. Now, now Paul turns a page here and this gets a little bit more intense and a little harder. So Saturday night, are you ready for this? Because this is going to get a little hard for you. Hospitality, we're all in on. But now he turns the page and, and here's what he said, verse 14 through 21. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends. 
but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Maybe I'm blind Thinking I can see through this And see what's behind Got no way to prove it So maybe I'm lying Take a look in the mirror What do you see? Do you see it clearer? Or are you deceived? In what you believe Cause I'm only human That was shown at the Super Bowl, and man, did that stir up some people. You watch Twitter, it lit up. Bless those who persecute you. Bless, do not curse. Kind of backwards, isn't it? You mean we're supposed to bless those who are blasting us? I mean, we're, we're ac- actually supposed to power down and not power up. Last two days, I was at a, a denominational meeting, and uh, I don't know if you've ever been to one, but they're pretty exciting. Um, and they can get a little fiery. And there was some question and answers and some rewriting of what's called faith and practice and bylaws, and people have opinions, and they stand up and share their opinions. And, and there was a couple that were pretty, pretty intense. And so after the question and answer, we have dinner together, and I look around the tables, and um, there were two men that were particularly a little excited about some things, and they were at two different tables, and two of the elders for the denomination, there was one elder sitting right next to the one guy, and another elder sitting right next to the other guy. And Kyle Zimmerman, I sat there, and Kyle looked, and he goes, hey, look, look where our elders are sitting. They were sitting right next to the dudes that were all fired up. And I thought, oh, it's a beautiful picture. And if I'm being honest, I didn't want to go sit at that table. (laughs) And there they were. And there was like this peace that just kind of came over where they were. He says, bless those who are blasting you. How do we do that? Well, it's nearly impossible In our human nature, we can't do it unless the power of the Holy Spirit is actually leading us and guiding us and directing. And we're actually asking him to speak. Actually asking him to guard our words and our mouths. We're actually trusting him that I'm going to remain calm in the midst when everything I want to do is power up and fight back. The words in Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he came and he said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
that you may be children of your Father in heaven. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 260 million people throughout history have been martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. And it continues today all around the world. But what does it look like for us in the West? Because we're pretty tame in the West. I guess we cancel people now. And not just by people that don't have faith. People of faith actually cancel people of faith. And I haven't figured that out yet, but Jesus comes and he says, hey, believers, I I need you to live this out. Bless those. Don't curse them. And then he comes in verse 15 and 16. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. And live in harmony with one another. I I don't know... uh, Sometimes I've watched people, and, I, and I've, I think it's harder for us to rejoice with someone who's having great success, and when they are happy, maybe than it is for us to mourn with someone who's sad. Why is it sometimes in our human nature, we, we don't want to pump people up when they're having success? We, we don't get as excited. I, I just want to tell you tonight, man, we want to get excited about people's success around here. Uh, We want to get excited when God's doing something in and through somebody's life because, man, what a great privilege we have. This weekend, this weekend, one of our our five campuses, Eastvale, they're celebrating their first anniversary. And just up on the screens as I talk, they're going to just look at the pictures and and watch. But we're celebrating our first year anniversary. And you know how awesome that is? Many of you don't even know why we started this church, but there were people watching in Eastvale and Ontario and Corona during the pandemic. And we saw that there were a number of people praying. And so I sent a bunch of guys to three different areas. And I said, you guys go pray over these areas and let's just see what God does. And they went and prayed and Aaron Ompah came back and he just said, I think God's calling me to Eastvale. He didn't want to go to Eastvale. He wasn't looking for Eastvale. If you remember the, the, the interview we did with him and God moved in his heart to go to Eastvale. And now we, we got a church and, you know, we lived in a building and you see where they're setting everything up. They don't have to set everything up anymore. They got a, a permanent facility now and they moved into that just a few months ago and they got the new sign up this weekend. And so the new sign went up and that went up and that's awesome. But we're going to celebrate Eastvale's one year anniversary and you ought to just give thanks to God and to our team for all that they've done in Eastvale uh, and what God's doing there. Many of you know that uh, Jay Hugh has been our pastor at uh, Orange Campus for years. He's been with me, he's 17 years, been a part of this church. Uh, and because of his brain cancer, we, we, we moved him out of there. And uh, really great, great news. He, uh, he's had two brain surgeries, as most of you know, uh, but his scans on Monday just came back perfectly clear and everything is great. Um, Continue to pray for him because he goes every three or four months and uh, that's a big deal to go every three or four months. But, but we just started praying and when we removed him out of that, we put him over our online stuff and then I said, I just wanna, I want God to use you. You gotta tell your story. And we created a documentary and some of you know that and, 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 and that's gone to film festivals and all that. Well, um, Jay just signed a, a book deal with Zondervan Book Company and uh, they are doing a book on his story. And I, I think there's some art that's not done but it's called I Am Weak, I Am Strong. Building a resilient faith for a resilient life. Okay, he never wrote a book. He sent it, we sent it in. He got it taken care of. And, and God opened up this door. And so uh, he's now going to be an author. And he's going to go and speak in places. And he's going to share his story of love and grace and what God's doing in the midst of awful circumstance. 
You know what? We need to rejoice with those things. We need to get excited that God's doing stuff. And then we mourn with people that mourn. I can look around this room. I've mourned with some of you. And I walked into a home uh, a month ago where a young man by the name of Andrew Ruddy who sat right here every Sunday with his wife. He's in his 30s. They were in an awful car accident and she was killed instantly. She was pregnant with their first child. I'm going to do the funeral in March. and I walked into Andrew's house. And I'm supposed to be a pastor. I don't, I don't have words in those moments. But we don't have to have words. It's the power of your presence. The church rejoices and we mourn. And that's what we're supposed to be to one another. Because that's what the church is. It's how we move through this thing called life. And he comes in and in the sensitivity, he puts this rejoice and mourn after persecution. And I think it's kind of on purpose. Because <laughs> then as he softens your heart and you think about it, he goes, hey, do not take revenge, my dear friends. Don't do it. Do not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And doing this, and you're going to heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The image of the, the burning coals on someone's head uh, uh, might go back to a practice in ancient times when, when someone would show repentance. When they wouldn't show repentance and they had done something wrong, they would have to walk around the city with this, this bowl of, of hot coals on their head. And what Paul probably is indicating here is that, therefore... Um, for us, we got to understand when, when we're kind to people that don't expect it, when we're kind to people that are, are blasting us, when we're, when we're kind, we're like heaping just coals, those hot coals on someone's head. And they don't even know how to act or receive it. And he says that's to be our response. And I, and, and I don't know that it's a great example, so I'm not telling you to go watch this show, but one of the greatest examples that's been on TV lately of forgiveness and and dumping burning coals on people's heads is the show Ted Lasso. And uh, if you don't know anything about Ted Lasso, Ted Lasso was hired to, uh, to come over to England and be a premier soccer football coach. And this lady hired him because she wanted him to fail. And so in the show, she finally admits to him why. And her name's Rebecca. And she said, Ted, I lied to you. She said, I hired you because I wanted this team to lose. I wanted you to fail. And I sabotaged you every chance I had. And then she said, Ted, I am sorry. And Ted Lasso says, I forgive you. And Rebecca says, you? You what? <laughs> and she had just gone a through a divorce, and she had gotten the team in the divorce because it was just a terrible team. And then Ted Lasso just said this, divorce is hard. It makes folks do crazy things. You and me, we're Okay. And if you watch the show, she just doesn't know what to do with it. 
And even though she asked forgiveness, it was like he was just, he was just pouring it on. And I can only tell you that Paul comes and he says, vengeance is the Lord's department, it's not ours. And the crazy thing is we can destroy our enemy by making him our friend. Because those burning coals just kind of, they just can't handle it. Our job is to love the people who seem unlovable. And I just want to let you know, because I'm saying this to myself, we're probably the people that are unlovable sometimes as well, right? But he says, come and love the unlovable. And you cannot love the unlovable unless you let the love of God wash over you and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. See, this isn't a natural response. It's a supernatural response. And it happens every moment as you walk with Jesus. So what does all this mean? Well, here's what I believe. That the love of God transforms the hearts of believers who then are able to share his love so others can be transformed. And you see, this sincere love, it's a spiritual decision. It's not just a relational decision. If you say you love God with everything that you are and his commands are love him with all of your heart and then love your neighbor yourself. See, everything is a spiritual decision. Through that lens, are you deciding now to treat your brothers and sisters in Christ and those outside the church or faith like Jesus asked us through Paul? See, this text should probably bother you a little bit tonight. The word of God should actually stir us up just a little bit. And it doesn't, if it doesn't shake us up a little bit, then we might be just bringing God down to our level and we're trying to, to make him like one of us. See, his words should actually convict us and shake us up and cause us to go, I don't know. So how do you do this? Well, I skipped over one important verse, so I'm going to wrap up right here. I skipped up verse 18. He said, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible, which guess what means? Sometimes it might not be possible. But if it is possible, it starts with you. So how do you live at peace? How do you live at peace with everyone? Well, first you have to have peace with God. You have to be at peace with God. Which the peace of God that passes all understandings will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. And when that begins to guard your minds and your hearts in Christ Jesus, then you actually might have a chance to be at peace with your brother or your sister or your husband or your wife or your enemy. He says, be at peace with God. See, God wants to change us. And he died so we might change. So how do we do it? Well, I'm going to give you the three Ps again. Because I think the three Ps lead to peace. Prayer, praise, and patience. I think in this whole section, as he says, you've been transformed. You're now going to go forth and help others be transformed. It starts with praise that you honor and you worship God for everything he is and what he's done in view of his mercies. That you give praise to one another and you honor one another. That you are a person of patience. Hmm. In affliction, in good times, and you let God continue to build in you this hope that is only from him. And all of it is covered and blanketed in prayer. Prayer, patience, 
and praise. And then I think, guess what? You have a chance at peace. I wish I was better at that second part. I think I'm all right at the first part. The zeal and the honor and sharing love. I come over to that second section, man. I think we all could use a little work. And tonight, that's the call for us as his church. See, the love of God, that's what transforms us. And it transports the hearts of believers so that then you can go share his love so others can be transformed. Just imagine tonight, friends, if that scripture was lived out in this place. Just imagine what could happen among us. I'm gonna believe God that he can do it in and through us. And I can't wait to see who we become as this community of authentic Christ followers. Would you stand with me? Jesus, thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you for uh, giving us the privilege to open up your word and to look at it and reflect and to, to see God that, wow, we, we have some room for growth. I know I do. So tonight, whatever you have convicted us of, may we go forth in that conviction to change. And God, through prayer, through praise, through patience, may your peace come over us so that it can be seen through us. God, thank you that you are our King, you are our Lord. Thank you for your unbelievable, amazing example to us. Thank you tonight for answered prayer for Eastvale, for Jay Hewitt. Thank you tonight that you are still answering our prayers and that you are on the throne. And thank you for this place called Friends. Pray blessing over this group of people. My favorite service, Saturday night. And I pray, God, you will bless them. In your powerful name we pray. Amen.